from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition. Last night, operating on my orders, the United States military forces successfully moved a major terrorist threat to the world, the global leader of ISIS, known as Haji Abdullah. That was President Biden earlier today announcing the U.S. Special Forces conducted an operation in northwest Syria that resulted in the Islamic State leader blowing himself up along with members of his family. Also, Washington remains focused on the volatile Russia-Ukraine situation. The Russian government, uh, we, we think, is planning to stage a fake attack uh, by Ukrainian military or intelligence forces against Russian sovereign territory uh, or against Russian-speaking people. Uh, to therefore justify their action. That was Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby earlier today. We'll get the latest from Kali Patterson with the New York Post. Also, we uh, were scheduled to talk with Texas Congressman August Pfluger, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, but they just called votes on the House floor, so we'll see if we uh, can connect with him before the program's over. And this morning, I was taken aback by an Associated Press story. I, I read the papers every morning, and I saw this story entitled, Strained U.S. Hospitals Seek Foreign Nurses Amid Visa Windfalls. The four-page article was lamenting the shortage of nurses, but did not once mention government-imposed vaccine mandates as a contributor to the crisis. While numbers are hard to find, like all other facts related to COVID, what we can find shows once again the consequences of bad public policy. We'll talk with Matt Staver of Liberty Council, who represented healthcare workers in New York in their fight against the state's mandate. And that's a big 10-4, good buddy. The Truckers Freedom Convoy is coming to Washington, D.C. to protest the vaccine mandates. Trucking is another one of those industries that is hurting for operators. So why the mandates? Well, Brian Bays, co-organizer of the D.C. Trucker Freedom Convoy, joins me to tell us all about it and what they hope to accomplish when they roll into the city. And turning to the states, we'll talk to the former Speaker of the South Dakota House of Representatives as to why his Republican colleagues are saying no to a heartbeat bill being pushed by their Governor, Kristi Noem. Now, knowing the good people of South Dakota, I know there is much more to this story. We're going to talk about it later. And on the education front, Meg Kilgannon is here with details of another wave of state legislation exposing and removing critical race theory from classrooms. We're going to talk about that later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you are a part of our two-year journey through the Bible, stand on the word. Our verse today comes from Job chapter 40. Verses 4 and 5, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Given the chance to question God about why God allowed the evil to come upon him, Job was silent in the presence of God as he realized God was God and he was not. To be a part of our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, while it was good news for the president last night in the successful raid in northwest Syria, I still remain on what is happening between Ukraine and Russia as Congress, Republican members of Congress, call for stronger actions and words from this administration. Joining us now to talk more about this, Kali Patterson with the New York Post. Kali, welcome to Washington Watch. 
Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. So what's the latest we have uh, on the situation in Ukraine? So as you saw uh, from the Pentagon briefing today, tensions are rising uh, over in Ukraine and Russia. And kind of the latest of what we're seeing is NATO's warning that we could see up to 30,000 troops uh, moving into Belarus. Now, this is very concerning as we've seen uh, roughly 100,000 troops uh, from Moscow surrounding Ukraine on its western border, Crimea, and now over into Belarus. Uh, Russia has said that they don't aren't planning a invasion, uh, and Ukraine is also pushing a message of peace, telling people not to panic, and also urging Western nations not to panic as well. Now, the U.S. and other NATO allies, as we've seen, are trying to prepare, are trying to be as cautious as possible, and we've seen that through the U.S. sending. Uh, roughly 3,000 troops over in Eastern Europe. Some of that were already stationed there and some are coming from the U.S. Uh, and so right now, all we're, it's kind of a waiting game. The U.S. doesn't know if Putin has made a decision to invade or not. And uh, it's all just kind of to see what they're going to do next. Uh, you know, with the uh, announcement that uh, Vladimir Putin will be going to Beijing for the games, uh, certainly is that a false signal that he might be sending uh, to cause people to stand down, uh, the possibility that he may take action in the next uh, few days? I mean, it's it's unclear. Uh, it's all Putin's game at this point. Last week, uh, one of the Russian foreign ministers, he said that if it's down to Russia, they don't want war. But in the end, Russia doesn't like getting blown off. And this week, he said the U.S. ignored Russia's concerns uh, when it comes to blocking Ukraine from NATO. And the U.S. is going to stand by NATO's open door policy. So uh, we're going to have to see how this plays out over the next couple of days. But the growth of troops uh, around Ukraine is concerning. What's the latest on the sanctions bill that was making its way uh, through the Senate? It was to be a bipartisan measure. Uh, Have they worked out the details of that yet? So that's still being discussed. As you know, uh, they were on recess last week. Uh, They weren't able to get through the Republican-backed sanctions bill, which would have placed sanctions on Russia within about 15 days of being approved, uh, regardless if Russia had invaded or not. So we're going to see in the next uh, coming weeks to see if we can get some progress with that sanctions bill. But there has been uh, some decisions and discussions on where they're going to target specifically some banks and companies and uh, top officials in the Russian government are going to be targeted with these sanctions. The the issue that was kind of keeping Republicans, Democrats apart was the trigger. Were some of those sanctions to come now to try to uh, discourage an invasion into Ukraine where the Democrats were saying, well, we want to wait until they actually do it. Have they worked through that aspect? So the Biden administration is still really pushing for diplomatic efforts to avert a potential invasion. Uh, and they're trying to get that as much as possible uh, between Secretary Blinken and his counterpart in Russia. And so I think they're really hoping for these talks. And the U.S. has uh, stepped back with some of its language in hopes that that will uh, also put off uh, an invasion. They were saying before that an invasion is imminent. They're no longer using that language as it was sending this message that they knew what Putin had decided. And so I think that change of language sh- goes to 
show that there is some collaboration happening to take a step back and hopefully um, stick with diplomatic measures. Kali, um, any effect of what happened last night in northwest Syria, does that uh, signal to Putin that the U.S. is serious? I mean, they are two completely different issues. Uh, so we're just going to have to see if he has any response to that. I think right now uh, we are still trying to work out some details on what happened uh, on our own. And so uh, until we can see everything out on the table, it's hard to tell. Okay, very good. Kali, thanks so much for uh, joining us with uh, your insights on what's unfolding here. It was, it was interesting. On this, uh, the raid in Syria, back when Osama bin Laden was taken out by Obama uh, during President Obama's term with special forces, the vice president, uh, he was uh, actually opposed to that move at that time. So a, very, a lot of similarities between the raid that took place last night and the raid that took out uh, Osama bin Laden. Um, we, we were going to hear from uh, Congressman Fluger, but uh, they, they called votes, and this is one of the this is one of the risk of doing live programming. Uh, but I think we're going to get uh, General Jerry Boykin is going to be joining us here in just a moment to uh, to talk about what occurred last night in uh, Southwest Syria, uh, Northwest Syria. I'm sorry, because it is uh, it, while it is unrelated, it does show. Uh, that this administration is willing to take actions when necessary. So it was a, uh, I commend the president for taking that action to stop this ISIS leader who had been linked to several uh, terrorist activities in uh, recent months that killed civilians and others. Uh, joining us now to talk more about this is our own uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, retired from the United States Army, now the executive vice president here at the Family Research Council. General, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you, Tony. All right. Your, your thoughts. We were just discussing uh, last night's raid uh, against ISIS. Uh, I, I, given the fact that uh, President Biden, when he was vice president, was opposed to the raid against uh, bin Laden, uh, this shows that uh, when he had to make a decision, he made a tough decision and it was a successful one. He made a very good decision on this. And uh I don't know how much coaching and coaxing it took to get him to uh, make this decision, but it was a good decision. He deserves a lot of credit for this because uh, ISIS uh, has it is resurging. It's uh, I don't know if uh, if you've been tracking it, but uh, just uh, not too long ago that they uh, ISIS made a raid on a prison there where they had a lot of uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda uh, people being held and. Right. Uh, this went on for several days, and they had to bring in uh, U.S. military support to uh, to uh, get uh, get this thing resolved. So it was a good decision. Uh, this was a good kill. This was a guy that replaced Baghdadi uh, as the head of ISIS. And uh, it, now it doesn't mean that ISIS is on the ropes by any means, but they were in decline and are trying to come back. And this is another setback. What does this tell us about the effectiveness of uh, U.S. intelligence uh, being able to I mean, this guy's been operating very discreetly uh, using couriers and other means. Uh, th this tells us, I would say, from, of course, a very surface level that uh, our, our intelligence is, is doing quite well at tracking these individuals. Yeah, that is that is, in fact, the case, Tony. And if you go back and do a review of the bin Laden. Uh, situation and how we actually found him. What you find out is the 
the primary source was human intelligence. It was somebody on the ground. It was somebody that was willing to, either for money or ideological reasons or even revenge, that was willing to uh, give up his location. And what I think you'll find, if if we ever do get uh, the full story on this, I think you'll find that it was somebody that uh, was very close to him, and uh, it, there was either money or revenge involved. Uh, very quickly, General, I, I know we're just about out of time. Uh, two separate situations, Ukraine, Russia, uh, in Syria. However, uh, the, the, the president's display of his ability to make a decision to use the military – would have to have some effect upon Vladimir Putin. I know it's a special uh, operations, uh, very small ministry, uh, you know, raid, but it does show the president is willing to take action when necessary. Let's hope that that is the case. Let's hope that it portends uh, his willingness to uh, to do what is right uh, by China. And I'm not talking about you know running military operations against them, but. Uh, there are other things besides military raids that can be done against them as well as Russia. Right, right. Well, uh, again, we commend the president for uh, decisive action last night that will end up saving lives. General Boykin, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, dropping in at the last minute. <laughs> you bet. Okay. All right, now you can go back and take your nap, all right? Okay, I'll do that. All right, coming up, jab or job mandates on healthcare workers have made the worker shortage horrendous. So now hospitals are looking abroad for help. And government officials like the governor of New York want to fix the problem with billions in taxpayer spending. Is that what we need? What about good public policy? We'll talk about it next after the break. Don't go away. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, 
interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. On Tuesday, during her regular COVID-19 briefing, New York Governor Kathy Hochul reiterated the plan she announced a month ago to spend billions of taxpayer dollars to not uh, only stop the massive loss of health care workers in the state, but to increase the workforce by 20 percent. We have to stop the hemorrhaging of current health care workers. They're still leaving. And how we do that, we say... We're not just going to say we owe you a debt of gratitude, as nice as that sounds. We also have to pay you the debt we owe. And we are investing over $4 billion in bonuses and wages for our health care workers. Now, you might recall this is the same governor who just a few months ago was adamant that every health care worker in New York, this was before the federal mandate, that they had to have the vaccine and and she said there will be no religious exemptions for any health care worker. Now, we, we, we look at the numbers and it's very difficult to track the numbers because it's not being reported. But you can see uh, in the state of New York where anywhere from a 5 percent to 15 percent of uh, some of these institutions have lost um, healthcare workers because of the mandate. And, and again, some just retired, some left, some quit, um, some have moved on. And so there is now a crisis. And this is not just New York. It's happening all across the country. But are we revisiting one of the, what I would point to as one of the significant catalysts for this crisis, and that is this mandate Many healthcare workers, as we've talked about, have already had COVID, so they have natural immunity. And we've seen that the vaccines don't even work. I mean, yes, I understand we're told, we are told, but I'm not sure I believe anything I'm told anymore with the lies that we're being told by those in charge. But we're told it minimizes the effect. I've not been vaccinated, and I've had both strains, and I've been fine. And I think I didn't have Delta. I take that back. I had the, the Omicron in the first one. But the reality is public policy is driving this crisis. So now, instead of revisiting it and saying, you know, maybe we did this wrong, maybe we shouldn't do it, maybe we should get past this, allow people to come back to work, 
They're now looking to go overseas to find health care workers. This is insane. With me now to talk about this is Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, who has argued in court on behalf of health care workers with religious objections to the vaccine mandates, in particular in the state of uh, New York. Matt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's good to be with you. Uh, first, let me let me get your thoughts. Maybe it's just me, but I think the governor is just it, it's it's beyond bizarre that you would go out there offering all of this money after you just drove healthcare workers out of the business because you mandated that they get this vaccine, even if they had a religious exemption or a religious uh, concern about it. That's right. Two states started off about the same time, and then the third one joined in. The first one was Maine, and the second one was New York, about the same time. And then Connecticut joined in as well, before these federal mandates. And New York, for example, just like Maine, they said that all the healthcare workers coming from these governors, Hochul and then Mills in Maine, had to get the COVID vaccine by a certain date. And if they didn't, they should be fired. They went even further than that, Tony, and they said you cannot, as an employer, give them religious accommodations to their sincerely held religious beliefs. In other words, you cannot abide by the federal Title VII law, which preempts anything else. You must ignore that. But if you do violate the governor's order and recognize a religious exemption and do not fire these individuals, then you will lose your business licenses. So these employers had essentially no choice but to follow the governor's order, even though they didn't want to. Now, in Maine and New York, you already had a shortage of healthcare workers in 2019 before right. we had COVID. Right. So when COVID hit in 2020, these people, many of them continued to go back to work. And many, some of them got out of the healthcare industry. They didn't know what they were doing. Some of them had elderly parents at home. They didn't know what they were bringing home. Most of them stayed. But we developed this concept of traveling nurses because of different outbreaks of COVID around the country. And so nurses would travel from place to place around the country to fill in those gaps because we had a shortage that predated COVID and was a little bit exacerbated by COVID. Then on top of that, you have this incredibly stupid order by Governor Hochul in New York and Mills in Maine to mandate all of them get the vaccine by a certain date and prohibiting employers from granting the religious exemptions. Early on at that time, they said that they would do one of two things to fill the gap. This was before they started the mass exodus because they didn't want to get the COVID shot. As many of them, as you said, they already had COVID and they developed natural immunity. And they didn't want, for various reasons and other religious reasons, they didn't want to get the COVID shots. So before the exodus happened, right after these governors issued the mandates, they said, well, we're going to call in the National Guard. And they made that commitment before the first healthcare worker had to leave because of this mandate. And they said, we'll start hiring foreign workers. These foreign workers are not trained in our system. And the National Guard is like putting your finger in a bathtub to try to raise the water level because the number of workers that have left New York and Maine, as an example, are in the thousands. And the National Guard just simply doesn't have that kind of nurses or doctors to be able to come in to replace that loss. So who suffers? It's the patient. In fact, Tony, in a different state where they didn't have the same kind of mandate, but they had mandates, 
in the state of Washington. I know someone whose wife was taken to the emergency room because she was having contractions three minutes apart. You would think that that would be an emergency. But when she presented at the emergency room, she was told to go home because they're only treating, quote, emergencies. They are understaffed. And to come back when your water breaks or you develop abnormal bleeding. She and her husband had to return home until she was in excruciating pain. And one of those two events happened. And then they had to rush her right back to the hospital because they were short of staff. Yeah short of staff because of these mandates. Right, and, and, and people need to realize that when you have a shortage of nurses, that means you have a shortage of beds because the number of beds are tied to the number of nurses. Matt, exactly. we're, we're out of time, Matt, um, but just bizarre, the public policy that we're pursuing and then refusing to recognize the consequences of these decisions. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being with well, us. Thank you, Tony. They've created their own mass what is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, tens of thousands of truckers in Canada are protesting a recent mandate that requires drivers entering the country to be fully vaccinated or face testing and quarantine requirements. As demonstrations at the country's capital approach their seventh day, truckers in the U.S. are following suit with plans for a convoy to D.C. to protest the COVID shot mandates. I have to dust off my CB and break out my old CB handle. Well, joining me now to talk about this effort is one of the co-organizers, Brian Bass. Brian, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks for having me. That's funny you said your CV handle. What, what was your CV handle? You got a CV handle? What is it? 
Captain Crunch. No kidding, Captain Crunch. That's Mine it. Two scoop. They they call me Two Scoop out on the road. <laughs> well, hey, look, I I love I love the truckers. Uh, I eat at truck stops. I love to hang out uh, there. Those, those guys represent what America is about: hardworking, independence. And uh, I'm 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 grateful for what the truckers are doing to stand up and say enough is enough. Tell us what they they plan to do to D.C. and how folks can find out more about it. Well, first off, let me be clear to say that while it's truckers that are standing up, this isn't a trucking uh, issue necessarily. This is just to stop the mandates. We're trying to look out for our community. We're trying to look out for our healthcare workers, our, our teachers, our law enforcement, our military, you know, Anybody that is suffering from these vaccination mandates, these vaccine mandates, we're not anti-vax. We're just uh, um, <laughs> we believe that you should have the choice. Uh, that's where that's um, where I am. Yeah, it, it's it's really kind of sad that we're losing such fantastic people across the country. They're losing their jobs. They have years. I mean, years of experience. These are some of the most talented people in their fields. Military spends millions of dollars in training on these soldiers, and they're being, you know, forced to, to, to leave because they won't get the vaccine because they don't want to put something in their arm. It, it violates not only your constitutional rights as an American, but it's violating your rights as a human being, what some would call your God-given rights, maybe. You know, on the human scale, just as a human being, you're being violated across the world, all these countries. And their governments are violating your human, basic human rights. Right. And so the truckers of America taking the uh, basically taking the lead from Canada. We love our Canadian brothers up north. Thank you for all that you do. And and uh, we're taking the lead from them. And you're saying, you know what? We agree. Here we come. Well, now, Brian, I mean, look, I, I know you're doing this for for against the mandate in general, but it is affecting the trucking industry. I mean, you're already short of of drivers. Many are saying, hey, I'm not going to do this. So it's a problem for all Americans. We already have supply chain issues. This is another example. We're just talking about nurses. We have a crisis, a shortage of nurses in this country, but yet we're forcing them. My daughter's a nurse, uh, forcing them to get these vaccines. I mean, this absolutely does not make sense. No, it's really quite sad that we're losing all these people. And as far as the supply chain goes, a lot of that could be avoided. I mean, the, they chose to make some decisions that allowed people to basically stay home and, and in many cases make more money staying home than what they did going to work. Now, I don't blame them. You're making more money to stay home. Why wouldn't you stay home, right? I mean, you want the work ethic. You want people to have this work ethic. But, you know, if you're making more money at home, I, I think everybody would stay home. But the fact is, is that the shortages are coming from uh, um, there, there's nobody to, to manufacture products. There's nobody to load the trucks. There's nobody to unload the trucks. Right. We're spending hours sitting in the docks because they don't have the employees. A lot of times they don't have the employees because places are requiring all of their employees to be vaccinated. Like the, the, the company owner, the, 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 the mothership of wherever they work is saying, you can't work here. You can't have this shift unless you're vaccinated. Now that's on a company level and technically they have the right to do so. Go find another job. But those are the things that are coming into play to this supply right. shortage. That's why there's only two loaves of bread on the shelf at Walmart. Right. So tell us about the convoy to D.C. Yeah, the convoy to D.C. is starting March 1st. Uh, that actually kind of got locked in today. So congratulations to get that information almost first. <laughs> but it's, uh, it is 100% starting on March 1st. There's a lot of planning going on right now behind the scenes. we got a lot of great groups coming together. 
we're taking off from California and we're making our way across the country to DC. There's a lot of uh, routes. The routes will be disclosed at a later time, kind of holding that a little close to the chest for obvious reasons, you know? Um, but uh, we do, uh, we're, it's coming. It's happening. March 1st, we're heading, we're heading East so out of California. Do, and, and uh, do you know uh, when you'll be uh, arriving in DC so I can be out there to welcome you? <laughs> I'll tell you what, follow along very closely and you'll know when we're getting All close. right, I'll be, I'll be checking out. But, but very quickly, <laughs> we're almost out of time. You had this up on Facebook and your Facebook page was removed. Quickly, tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Facebook censored us. I, I don't know if you caught uh, Fox and Friends, uh, was it uh, yesterday morning, I believe? Yeah, yesterday morning, Fox and Friends, they, they talked to Facebook and Facebook came back with this absolutely absurd excuse saying that we violated community standards regarding the QAnon policy, something along those lines. I might be off on their quote, but that's a complete and total lie. I mean, they've lied to the American people. They lied to Fox. They've lied to us. I've, I've, I've said, contact me and show me the proof of this. There is absolutely nothing. And two people lost their profiles completely. Every picture, every memory, everything off of their profile because of it. The issue isn't that Facebook deleted it because they have the right to do so. The issue is the excuse that they used to justify it was a flat-out lie. Right. Well, not surprised. Uh, Brian, all right, if you hear Captain Crunch out there, uh, you know you, you know it's me. I'll holler back at you. They call me Two Scoop. Everybody right. can find me out on get, uh, out on uh, the app Getter. That's where I'm uh, most active at, the, uh, the, the that app called Getter. Right. And it's just my name, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, with the lower underscore, last name Brazi, B-R-A-S-E. Follow me there. They don't censor anybody. And uh, you can you can follow along for the most up-to-date uh, information. We'll probably be coming through these third-party apps like Telegram and Getter and things like that. All right, Brian. We'll see you here in D.C. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Can't wait to can't wait to meet you. Will I get to meet you in person? Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. All right. With All you. right. I can't wait to shake your hand. All right. Take care. All right, folks. Stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Good buddy. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. 
Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. All right, Americans who care about the issue of life and those who push abortion on women are both looking to probably June, July of this year to finally find out if Roe v. Wade, the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court case decision that legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, and then later the Planned Parenthood versus Casey of 1992 will be thrown in the ash heap of history. Of course, we at the Family Research Council know and believe that unborn babies are created in God's image, distinct from their mothers and deserving of all rights given to those of us that are already born. We believe that life is to be protected from conception. When and if Roe is overturned, the job of protecting life and government will fall on state legislators, doing the hard work of protecting all their citizens, born and unborn. Abortion will not be permanently eradicated by executive fiat, but through legislative bodies. Now, just yesterday in South Dakota, a heartbeat bill, very similar to that in Texas, was introduced but uh, by the governor, uh, Christy Nome, there in South Dakota. But pro-life Republicans uh, said, no, we're not going to pursue this. Why? Well, joining me now to talk about this and what is happening on the ground in South Dakota, former House Speaker of the uh, House there in South Dakota is Stephen Hogarth. Stephen, welcome to Washington Watch. Hello, Tony. Thanks very much for having me on. All right. So let's um, let, let's talk about this because people are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, South Dakota is a very pro-life state. Uh, you were, you're still in the legislature there as the speaker. You advanced very conservative laws. This Texas heartbeat bill that was put forward by the governor there, the Republicans said, no, we're not going to do this. Why? Well, this year I'm not on the state affairs committee, and that's the committee that this uh, legislation was brought before. And it it wasn't uh, presented as a bill. It was brought as some proposed language by the governor's office. And throughout the past several years, of course, there have been a lot of discussions about what kind of legislation could succeed and what should we do with what are the options available. So each year we take some bites at the apple as much as we can and try to move forward any kind of pro-life bills that we can. And we have bills like that this year, just like always, and we'll advance those as best we can. This year, the governor's office brought some uh, proposed language that was not ultimately in the form of a bill, 
and there was proposal to the State Affairs Committee that this be advanced as a bill. It failed for want of a second. And uh, I believe the uh, underlying issue there is the fact that we have ongoing litigation right now that we think has some high potential for success uh, based out of uh, Planned Parenthood versus the previous governors and now versus Governor Nome. That's just the title of the case. But the point of that legislation is to identify a relationship between the mother and the child. And so it's a unique aspect, a unique perspective on how to pursue this in the event that Roe is not successful. So this, this litigation right now, it's pending in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. I don't believe they've moved it forward on the schedule just because the fact that the Supreme Court presumably will rule within the next several months on the existing cases before the court. So, you know, when that happens, we'll have a much better idea of what to do as far as advancing new le new legislation. And I think, you know, if, if Roe is in essence overturned, the uh, great opportunity every state has at that point is convene a special session, take a look at what the, the opportunities are, and consider the surrounding states and what are they going to do, then advance new legislation. And that's what I would expect we would do. We would have a special session within as many days as possible to advance a, a particular bill to protect life. So this is um, what some have kind of said, well, w what's happening here? The legislature no longer pro-life. That, that's not at all what no. uh, you've described here, is that the legislature is being very strategic in that uh, you, before Mississippi, before Texas, had crafted legislation that would go at the heart of Roe, which is now, which has been in the judicial pipeline, but not yet received a decision. And so the concern was that other actions could jeopardize that case, which you feel is uh, the best attack to uh, to row if the current one before the court does not succeed. Exactly. You know, this uh, this legislation that we have from going back, I think it's to 2010 or 2011, uh, had that perspective of a relationship that needs to be protected between the mother and the child. And so it's gone through a lot of stages, just uh, thousands of hours of preparation and time invested in this with the idea that if Roe is not overturned at this point, this might be another option. And I really respect Texas for what they did. They they looked for an opportunity. They found an opportunity. They pursued that. And that, that worked for Texas because they didn't have anything else in the pipeline, as you say, that was ready to go. So at this point, I think, when you when you talk to quote unquote legal scholars, it's oftentimes anybody's guess. But the real concern is that potentially this Texas case is going to fall flat at some point along the way too. So we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we lose there and then we've lost the case that's yeah. been teed up for nearly a decade. Makes uh, makes perfect sense to me, um, Representative Hogarth. I want one final question for you. Uh, a little confused by this. But uh, the governor, they're signing a sports bill, a sports protection bill. I think I think that's gone into effect now. But it's very similar to the one that uh, was killed last year. What caused your change of heart? Well, it's it's not as good as the one we had last year that passed through both chambers. And we laid it on the governor's desk for signature. She chose to veto it. And the only thing that I can perceive there is that the Chamber of Commerce, Municipal League, the Retailers Association, leaned on the governor's office to try to put that to rest. And so then I think when the political winds changed, that's when uh, it was appropriate to bring another bill. 
there were plenty of bills that were going to be on the table this year to do this again, to give another opportunity. And I think we would have passed it just as well as we did last year. Uh, sadly, on the last year, we couldn't override that veto. And that's just the nature of our legislative body. Although we're, we appear to be very red, we're, uh, we're tending in that purple range more than, uh, bright red. So last year we couldn't override the veto. This year it comes back. The governor brought her own bill this year, but it, it isn't, uh, doesn't have the teeth, the substance that the bill did last year. Everybody just wanted to get something across the line so we could be done with this and at least give some protection to girls sports. And it's, it's denominated as fairness in girls sports. And that's really what it is. You see across the nation, girls that have great talent and opportunities, they lose those, uh, those accolades. They lose the opportunity for scholarships. And so this will at least provide some protection there. Yeah. Not as good as what we had last year, but it's still a step in the right direction. But uh, it does show that citizens can make a difference when they weigh in on issues that they have concerns about. Uh, as we said, last year the governor vetoed it. This year, coming with her own bill, uh, and I think in large part that was because people spoke out and said this is something we're very concerned about. And um, Well, yeah, last year it would have been great if uh, there would have been more of an uproar about it. it. I think it took everybody by surprise. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the bill was through. It was on the governor's desk. Could have been law. In fact, I told or provided uh, some information to her. I said, if you just leave it alone, don't need to sign it. You put your own disclaimer on it. After 15 days, it becomes law. But she chose to veto it anyway. All right. Well, uh, State Representative Hogarth, so, go, so good to talk with you. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll be watching Thanks. developments there in, in uh, South Dakota continually because you guys are doing some good stuff up there. Great. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. All right. Good to talk with you. Well, staying on the state level, there's legislative activity that is taking place across the country, about 56 different bills being introduced to stop the infiltration of the divisive CRT-inspired teachings and concepts in school. I mean, we this is kind of the second way. We saw some of it last year, but it's intensifying. And this is, again, one of those things that I find encouraging, just like what we were talking about in South Dakota, where you had a governor vetoed the bill last year, but after she heard from citizens who said, what are you doing? We need this. The politicians are responding. And in fact, we need to replace some of these politicians with just common sense mom and dads who know what needs to be done. Join me now to talk more about what's happening on the education front is Meg Kilgannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies. Meg, welcome back. Great to see you, Tony. Okay, so uh, very quickly, give us uh, a read on what's happening across the country as it pertains to these bills addressing critical race theory. Well, there have been 56 different pieces of legislation uh, introduced all across the country, and this is really uh, wonderful to see. It, it shows that legislators are responding to the concerns of parents about the content of the curricula in their public schools. And uh, the PEN America study that that you referenced, um, the, the PEN America Foundation is funded by publishing companies to be a defender of free speech. So the study that, that goes through these bills is not necessarily complementary of the bills themselves. And there's a lot of hand-wringing and nitpicking over particular facets of this part or that part. But I think the important thing at this point in the process is that this is happening, that votes are being taken, markers are being laid down, and you're either with parents or you're not. Uh, and this is a great way of measuring support for parental rights in education. 
Now, Virginia, you know, that was kind of the epicenter of this battle over education. It spilled over and really drove the outcome of the governor's race. It's still raging here. What's the latest in Virginia? Still raging. We had a great day yesterday in Richmond with the Family Foundation of Virginia. Um, we, uh, parents from all across the state went to the Capitol and we met with our state senators and our House of Delegates members and we talked to them about the issues that we were concerned about and the bills that we wanted to see passed. And pretty shockingly this morning, uh, we have a majority, the Republicans have a majority in the House and have been very supportive of parental rights. In the Senate, um, Democrats control the Virginia Senate by two votes. And to everyone's delight today, this morning, um, we got two senators to vote with us on a bill that would uh, require parental notification of sexually explicit material in school assignments. Now, this is not library books in the library. This is material that's assigned to a student in a classroom. And the, the idea is that just as you would allow um, a student who objected to dissecting a frog in biology the opportunity to opt out and take a different assignment, so if a parent objects to a child reading sexually explicit or sexually violent content in an, a text assigned in a core class, English, social studies, et cetera, uh, the parent would have the opportunity to opt their child out of that material and be given an alternative assignment. So this, we need the, there two, we need two votes in the Senate. We got those two votes on the committee today. So it's exciting to think that this bill will pass through the Senate under Democrat control with bipartisan support. It, it should easily pass the House of Delegates and Governor Yunkin promised to sign it during the campaign and we have every expectation that he will do so. So this is an example of the wonderful things that can happen when parents become involved yeah. in the process. Right. And when you, you look at we've got 30 state legis- thirty state legislatures controlled by Republicans. I mean, we should have 30 states that are passing these protections for children and parental rights. Uh, so this is giving wind, I believe, in the sails of uh, the entire effort with what's happening here in Virginia. Very quickly, uh, Meg, uh, FRC Action has some training coming up. Tell our viewers and listeners about that. They might be able to join in. We'd love it if you could. We're going to be in North Carolina in Raleigh on February 9th and near Charlotte, North Carolina on February 10th. And if you go to our website at www.frcaction.org slash schools, you can register there for the events. There's no charge, and we're going to provide a lunch that day. We're partnering with uh, NC Values, and um, we're just really excited to go, just as it was exciting to be in Richmond yesterday and to be with actual parents who are doing the work. Uh, We want to have these same kind of actual parents run for school board in North Carolina and change the dynamic in education from the ground up. Well, that's exciting. And, folks, you can find out more about that by going to TonyPerkins.com. Meg, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, dropping by today. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, I have a special assignment for you. You might recall, I guess it was last week, I had um, an attorney that's representing a member of parliament in Finland, Pavi Rasazin. She is uh, she's on trial. She's uh, for 
essentially tweeting a Bible verse and speaking about biblical uh, truth as it pertained to human sexuality. She's still in the parliament there. She was a former uh, uh, minister of the interior. She is, uh, she is on trial facing potentially jail time for simply expressing widely held political, political, biblical beliefs. And as I said, tweeting a Bible verse. Now her trial will be concluding on Monday, February the 14th. And one of the requests her attorney made was that we pray for Pavi. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for her. I have a petition that we're going to deliver to her. I did this, we did the same thing for Pastor Andrew Brunson, the American pastor who was held in Turkey. And he told me it made all the difference in the world to him to know that he was not standing alone. In fact, I've asked Pastor Brunson, who is now on staff here with us as a special advisor for religious freedom, to take these petitions that you signed, these pledges to pray for Pavi, to her in Finland before her court date on the 14th of February. So if you would, go to TonyPerkins.com and sign this pledge to pray for Pavi as she stands for biblical truth there in Finland. This is going to have repercussions across the world if the Bible is criminalized. So go to TonyPerkins.com and sign the pledge to pray for Pavi. All right, until next time. Let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.